y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, covering entertainment and sports for Variety and Access Live, Audrey Cleo Yap, and film industry reporter for the Wall Street Journal, Eric Schwartzel. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. This is our first show in our NPR West studios in Culver City, California. Yay! And I'm happy to report that it's raining outside. (laughs) What did you do, Sam? It's my fault. It's my fault. I blame you entirely. Yes. Every week we start the show with a different song, but first I want to thank our guests for being here. Audrey Cleo Yap, entertainment and sports journalist. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. You for are doing the rain. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> also, Eric Schwartzel covers film industry for the Wall Street Journal. Hey, thanks Good for having be. me. I'm so thanks. honored to be on your oh Made in LA podcast. Wouldn't have it any other way. Because we are at NPR West today, for the very first time for this show, we have a very L.A.-centric episode all about one of my favorite nights of the year, the Oscars. But first, let's talk about this song. That's just the way you make me feel. It's very, very catchy. It is. It's, it's really like nice. the Prince Robots. Right. It's giving right? you some Prince vibes, Super right? Prince vibes, yeah. So there's a reason that it's giving you Prince vibes. This is one of Janelle Monae's new singles. It's called Make Me Feel. And it's been revealed this week that Prince helped her work on her new upcoming album before he died. Wow. And Prince's DJ says that the synth line in this song... Prince made that. Um, so this is Prince, channeled through, through Prince Janelle Monae. Yeah. From the grave. From the I grave. love it. Janelle and Monet. they have similar wardrobes. Yes. So <laughs> yes. all of this makes sense now. Okay, oh, yeah. I like this. My boss, uh, Steve, he was talking about this song all week, and he said he plays it three times every morning before he starts work. Just to get, get riled up. Just to get him riled up. It's yeah. very specific, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Now let's get into it here with you guys in studio. Um, as you know, we each describe how the week of news and everything else felt in only three words. Um, I'm going first this week. My Go for it. You know, <laughs> it's your, your show. To, exactly. It's our show. It, well, your new city. <laughs> Go for it, Sam. My three words are no, you can't. And that's Ooh. because one thing you have not seen in the aftermath of the Parkland shooting and the aftermath of a lot of other mass shootings are lawsuits against gun companies. And that is by design. Uh, Congress passed a law in 2005 that basically made it illegal to sue gun makers for anything but defective products. Uh, It's called the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. And it gives the gun industry special legal protections that few other industries have. This came after the NRA lobbied in response to these suits where states and cities and individuals were suing gun companies for negligent marketing or for guns making a public nuisance. So now you can't do that. And when you think about other parts of our society where there's been really quick social change, it's come through Congress and the courts at the same time. And not only that, just a very litigious society. Exactly. Yeah. So you think about issues like DACA or civil rights or women's rights. These are issues that were addressed not just through Congress, but through ongoing court cases that not just changed policy, but kept these issues front of mind for all of Americans. And it seems like on the gun issue, especially this week, the change is coming from 
corporate boardrooms. Exactly. Rather than courts or... Or Congress. Or yeah. Congress, right? Where you have Kroger and Walmart and uh, Dick's Sporting Goods all saying that they're going to raise the, the age of... Um, you know, the consumer. Who realized, who knew the NRA got so many different benefits? If you're a card-carrying oh, yeah. member of the NRA. It's like that, the AAA. That they were so far-reaching. And it's been interesting to see this kind of corporate wokeness, I suppose. <laughs> I don't I don't know if yeah. that's even a good way to, to phrase it. But to see them come out and say, oh, yes, this feels right now. Yeah. And, but at the end of the day, these are still big corporations. Not everybody is actually happy about all of these corporations being so, quote unquote, woke about the NRA. Some companies like Delta Airlines, uh, they're being punished for cutting ties with the NRA. So this week, Georgia lawmakers passed a bill that denies a tax break to Delta and other airlines. Tax break is worth some $38 million uh, because these airlines ended discounts for NRA members. So there's a backlash to the corporate backlash to the NRA. Eric, you're up next. Describe your week of news in three words. My three words are, it's my party. It always and, is your party. <laughs> yeah. no, no, we'll today, cry if we want exactly, to. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> this episode ends with me weeping in the corner. Fine yeah, with it. Yeah. Um, this, uh, these three words are inspired by news out of China this week, mm-hmm. um, that the, the country's government was going to abolish term limits. Huh. Um, for its president, which sort of sets the stage for President Xi Jinping to stay in office as long as he wants. How old is he? He's, I think he's in his 60s. Um, but he's clearly been setting the stage for this to happen for a while. He's been amassing a lot of power. And this is a sign that he might try to become a figure, almost like a, like a Mao-type figure, like a cult really? of personality. Wow. Very, very long reign. I mean, he has incredible ambitions for China this century. He really wants to expand influence. Um, and so this was um, you know, criticized quite a bit. But within China, you didn't hear much criticism at all. Because, well. <laughs> yeah, I wonder yeah, why exactly. that is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. To, the, to the point where you, um, Winnie the Pooh was censored from China. Not Winnie week. the Pooh. Wait, why? Yeah, let me oh, explain. No. So within China, it's very hard to criticize the government for obvious reasons. The censors will just take anything off, off the Internet that they see that's mm-hmm. not... Um, not kosher. So they will find um, people who want to criticize the government will find ways of communicating that, but sort of in code. And in recent years, uh, President Xi, who is a little more of a rotund man, has been been known to people have pointed out that he might bear a somewhat of a resemblance Stop. to Winnie the Pooh. And so, so people, then he banned Pooh. So people will use Winnie the Pooh in place of Xi Jinping <laughs> when they're talking about him online. And and this week, with all of this news coming about the term limits um, being abolished, Winnie the Pooh was you know very popular. <laughs> and oh so they um, scrubbed images of, of Winnie the Pooh from the Chinese internet. That's crazy. Wow. What does this leader of China trying to set himself up to rule for life. What does that mean for a rising China and China's state in global geopolitics? I mean, we've been hearing for years that they are the next superpower. Does this accelerate that path for them? I think so. I mean, because he has made that acceleration a real part of his of his core identity. He, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's this concept in China of Xi Jinping thought that, that like, <laughs> his mentality his philosophy is its own kind of commodity he wow. there is definitely 
uh, a cult of personality around him. I was in Beijing in de- in December, and um, you could buy like commemorative plates with his face on <laughs> it everywhere you went. So he uh, he definitely wants to expand Chinese influence abroad, and he also it has to be said has not had the best relationship with President Trump. So yeah. the fact that he's sticking around could also complicate things there. Audrey, you're up next. You're a week of news or whatever in three yeah, words. or whatever. <laughs> uh, so my three words are, they're humans too. Mm. So in the past couple of weeks, I think you've seen this backlash when public people don't really react to grief or engage in some kind of performative sadness mm. when things don't go their way. Huh. And then there are certain journalists or people on social media and Twitter and whatnot saying, well, what, where where are the tears, basically? Huh. I think we saw this with uh, the figure skater Mariah Nagasu when she didn't do, she didn't attempt her triple axel at the Olympics, at the Olympics in her individual event and, and kind of made a glib comment about wanting to be on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden you have all these writers who've been covering her for years just pile on her for Uh. for not showing remorse Mm -hmm. or just saying thank you. Mm -hmm. You saw this also with uh, the survivors of the Parkland shooting. Um, You know, they were being criticized for smiling on the Ellen DeGeneres show or posting on Twitter or acting like 17-year-olds, acting (laughs) like people, exactly. My words are really to say that, look, just because some people do what seems like superhuman things, land triple axles, survive school shootings, whatnot. You, people express their grief in different ways. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if anybody really owes anybody a public breakdown or exactly. a, a public panic attack. Yeah. And I also feel like even when you're grieving, you don't grieve 24-7. Right. And I also think about what it must be like to be in those moments, like what it's like to be at the Olympics knowing millions of people are watching you around the world. How are you going to act naturally in any anyway. way? How are you going to be? I mean, how are you going to be present? I mean, I think it's it's really incredible. And that's also like suddenly you've like been through a school shooting and then a week later you're on the Ellen DeGeneres show. I mean, how? what is the playbook for how you're supposed to act? Yeah. And it's been I think it's specifically tough on women. Oh, I'm sure. So young women, who, mm-hmm. when when they don't react a certain way, when they don't break down, when they don't just say thank you for the chance and, oh, yeah. and well up, oh, yeah. there's something that offends certain people about that. Yeah. Instead of taking a step back and for people to go, you know what, that's how some people deal with grief or disappointment. Smiling is actually a part of the grieving process. Yes, yes. I'm, and like I can already tell you now, Come Monday morning, we're going to be talking about how some woman or man on the red carpet at the Oscars or getting their award didn't look the right way or say the right thing or be graceful enough. Or wanted it too much. Exactly. Uh Anne Hathaway, I still love you, (laughs) Anne. It's okay to want it too much. (laughs) Anyway. uh, Okay, we're going to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the Oscars and the state of the film industry. We're going to play my favorite game, Who Said That? And we'll also call up a listener and talk about news in their neck of the woods. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Masterclass. Producing online classes taught by masters of their craft. Each class is shot with cinematic production quality and offers on-demand lessons loaded with exclusive content. Classes include Gordon Ramsay teaches cooking, Annie Leibovitz teaches photography, Steph Curry teaches basketball, and more. 
It's been a minute listeners can unlock every class with the new All Access Pass. Available now at masterclass.com slash minute. Support also comes from Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can buy and print U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your computer. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, whenever it's convenient for you. Access all the amazing services of the post office right from your home or office and skip the trip. For a four-week free trial, plus postage and the digital scale, go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in MINUTE. Hey there, just want to let you know about Invisibilia. It's NPR's show about the invisible forces shaping our behavior. The show is back on March 9th with a brand new season. This time, the Invisibilia team is taking on some of the biggest cultural fights of our time. Russian hacking, reality TV, Me Too, just to name a few. You can listen to Invisibilia and subscribe to Invisibilia on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcast. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests. Say hi and who you are, guys. I'm Audrey Cleo Yap. I'm an entertainment and sports journalist. And I'm Eric Schwartzel. I cover the film industry for The Wall Street Journal. All right, you guys, quick question, yes or no, uh, before we get back into the news. This week, it was discovered that all of our faves, Barbara Streisand, she told Variety magazine that she used cells from her deceased dog, taken from the dog's mouth and stomach, to clone two new dogs. Weird. But my question for you both is, would you ever clone your dog, yes or no? Oh, yes. Yeah, without a doubt. Yes. No! Yes, what? Okay. <laughs> what I love, though, is she made two. Yeah. <laughs> the dog was yes. that awesome. If yeah. I had a time machine and I could go anywhere in history, I would go to the meeting between the scientist and Barbara Streisand. <laughs> what do you think she, she said? was telling them that she wanted to clone her dog. You know the dogs, the, their names are Miss Scarlet and Miss Violet? Stop it. Yeah. I, I wonder just, like, you have to have Barbara Streisand-level money. To clone, that, to clone the dog. To clone the dog. Like, that is... So the real is question is, can you afford to clone your dog? Yeah, that is exactly... Yeah, and my that's answer that. is no. Exactly. No. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, all right. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. We call up a listener somewhere in the world and talk to them about the news in their neck of the woods. This week, we're talking to someone from Oakland, California. We're calling her because she is a recipient of DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And if you have DACA, you have to renew it every two years. So Jessica Tanaglia is in that position. She has uh, protected status. Hey, Jessica, how are you? Hey, Sam. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You are here with two of my friends, Audrey and Eric. Say hi, guys. Hi. Hey, Jessica. Hey, how's it going? So you're also in California in Oakland? Yes. Cool. What do you do out there? Um, I work at a nonprofit that does uh, legal services uh, for immigrants, so I work with the immigration team. Okay. Actually, most of my clients have DACA. So DACA is a big issue for you right now in your personal life and your work life. Okay, so you're a DACA recipient. How long have you had uh, status with DACA? Since 2012, yeah. Actually, no. So I applied in 2012 when it came out, but I didn't get it until 2013. Okay, and and, and so you've been renewing every two years since then. Your status um, that you have now isn't up until next year? Yeah, so right now it's valid until um, June of next year. Okay. Um, And so you're supposed to renew every two years, but as soon as the election happens, there was sort of a frenzy, and everybody thought, you know, we should renew ASAP, even if it expires 
even if you have like a year left or something like that. So, so actually, for the last like three years, I've been renewing like every or last two years, I've been renewing every year instead. How much does it cost to renew DACA? It's four hundred and ninety-five dollars. Huh. And so you renewed again last month. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I renewed last month. Wow. Wow. So right now, DACA is in a really weird position. Donald Trump announced that the program would end March fifth. He put some pressure on Congress to push towards a permanent fix. They haven't done that yet. And the White House, with a lot of mixed messages, they have not made that job any easier. It's really in limbo right now. (laughs) Yeah, it it is in limbo, which is why everybody is sort of just rushing to renew while they can. So we have no idea for how long this is going to be an option. Um, With the Supreme Court just recently saying that they're not going to hear the case, that extends it a little bit longer. But I don't, I don't know. Really, we're just pushing for, for a real solution, which would be a, a legislative solution, so passing the DREAM Act. This latest news from the Supreme Court where they basically pump the brakes for a while while the courts figure things out, do DACA recipients see that as good news for them or bad news? I definitely saw it as good news. I, I was afraid that if the Supreme Court did take it, that it wouldn't come out in their favor. Uh-huh. Um, so I think this is great, um, but it just feels like this crazy roller coaster ride that you can't get off. So uh. when Trump was first elected, everybody thought, okay, he's going to cancel DACA ASAP, right? Mm-hmm. And then he said, no, you know what? The program's going to be safe for a while. So then you start to feel kind of okay again, and then the September 5th announcement happens, and so then you just like your your feelings like plummet again. And then the injunction happens, so then you start to feel safe again. And so it's just like constant, like uh. not knowing what's going to happen. And the minute that you start to feel safe, the rug just kind of gets pulled from under you, you know? Wow. So, Jessica, this is Audrey. Mm-hmm. I'm curious just what it's been like for you kind of before and after uh, President Trump has come into office. Just are, do you feel, have you always felt that anxiety and, and, and how you feel now? Well, I feel like yes and no, you know, but before DACA, you just always had that anxiety and it was, it was just like finding ways to live your life that are just in the shadows, as they say, right? Um, but then with DACA, you, you just start to have, I think, a, a normal life. So like you, you have a normal job, you have a social security card, you can get a driver's license. And so you start getting used to this like, oh, hey, I'm just like everybody else and I can have all of the opportunities that everybody else has. But now it's like the thought of, you know, I've had my driver's license now for like what five years and the thought of like, oh, I no longer have my driver's license or I can't go visit my family who's on the East Coast because I won't have an ID to show at the airport or, you know, like all of these things that are just like potentially going to be taken away that I didn't have before. So hmm. I think that's why the anxiety and the fear is so much higher now. So what's your plan if DACA goes away? What do you do? Where do you go? Also, where's your home country? Uh, my home country is Argentina. Okay. I would definitely not go to Argentina because okay. I know no one in Argentina. Okay. Um, so that's not the plan. Um, well, right now my plan is I'm going to be starting law school in August. Oh, wow. Congrats. Um, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So my plan is going to be going to school and then just figuring it out step by step. I mean, you know, like I said, having DACA taken away right now would be, I can't even begin to imagine what it, what it would feel like in the moment, you know, but... I definitely survived before I had DACA, and I know, I mean, one of my colleagues graduated from law school while she was undocumented and, and made it all work, you know? Huh. Um, there's, yeah, there's, 
there's a way to make it happen without DACA. It's just not something that we should be forced to do, you know? Well, yeah. on a lighter note, what are your plans for the weekend? How are you going to have fun this weekend? Uh, I think I'm going to be driving down to L.A. if the weather permits. <laughs> oh, well, love, Sam, love, yeah, Sam we, brought we the have rain. some bad news for yeah. you. I love how it's like misting outside yeah. and everyone's like, if the weather Just permits. Like, stay away. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome well, to L.A., actually, Sam. Five minutes ago, it was hailing here. Really? So I don't, yeah, so I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Okay, well, stay safe up there in the hail, and if you mm-hmm. make it to L.A., I hope it's sunny for you. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, take care. Have a good weekend. Have a good one. See ya. You too. Thank you. Listeners want to talk to you for this segment. Hit us up. Tell us what's going on in your neck of the woods. What's the word you want to talk about? Email us at samsanders at npr.org. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with Audrey Cleo Yap, who covers entertainment and sports all over the place. And Eric Schwartzel, who covers the film industry for The Wall Street Journal. You guys, I brought you here because you are both pros and experts on what I want to talk about this week, which are the Oscars. Our Super Bowl. <laughs> yes, it is. Our, this is true. This it's is happening true. this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about the awards and the ceremony. But first, I want to talk about like how the film industry and some other L.A. industries are doing generally right now uh, in terms of money and diversity. So uh, I want us to talk diversity in Hollywood first. And I think we've seen the success of a film like Black Panther this year. We saw Get Out do very well and Moonlight win an Oscar for Best Picture last year. And it seems as if the game has changed when it comes to representation in film. What do we think about the general state of diversity right now going into the Oscars this weekend? I'll let the white guy go. <laughs> Definitely the most qualified. <laughs> I'm actually curious to, to hear what what you think about this. It's interesting because yeah, we are coming off of um, a couple of weeks where Black Panther has made incredible amounts of money yeah. at the box office. I think that uh, one thing that's worth keeping in mind is that even you know we have movies like Girls Trip or Black Panther that kind of make the case for black movies at the box office. But the other thing is that even in general, um, minority moviegoers go to see more movies than Caucasian moviegoers. Among frequent moviegoers, Caucasian is the only race that under-indexes when it comes to buying tickets at the theater. So I've heard uh, Latinos are the highest indexing. Absolutely, yeah. Hispanic audiences go see more movies than any other demographic in the country. Yet you don't see a lot of movies with Latino leads. No. Right, and there's always been this philosophy or this kind of, you know, the only color that really matters in Hollywood is green, Uh right? Uh That's the only, cash, money, 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 right? Yeah. And then when you have something like, so UCLA just came out with this huge study Uh uh, about diversity in Hollywood and also the bankability and profitability profitability of films that have 21 to 30 percent or you know some minority repre- representation in their casts and they always end up doing better at the box office huh. so i think that idea of like yes the color green is the one that matters most and oh wait a second the people who are actually going to give us that green yeah. are not the people we've been going after for so long is is upending the industry in some ways but not at a fast enough clip so, Audrey, you cover TV. And I feel like with TV, 
I see more minority representation. I'm thinking about Donald Glover on Atlanta. I'm thinking about Issa Rae on HBO with Insecure. Even shows like Jane the Virgin. Am I right in thinking that TV right now is a little blacker and browner than the film industry? So here's the interesting thing that came out about this UCLA study is that Optics-wise, it would appear that way. But then when you take a closer look, and this was based on, I think, the last year that they had something through was 2016. So things have been a little bit different Mm -hmm. in 2017 and uh, in 2018. But for shows in 2017, the new shows... Uh, you know, you did see a little bit more representation, but women actually lost ground. On TV? Uh-huh. Wow. But, uh, but actors of color in lead roles went up by 28%. That's so a lot. <laughs> so that's a lot. I think, yeah, one thing in that study that stands out in every study on diversity in Hollywood that stands out is the, the just total lack of women in, in director's chairs. Another area, though, that, that television has really, you know, mm-hmm. moved the ball on. I want to also talk about the money the numbers and the state of the movie industry financially. Um, Eric, you cover the biz side of Hollywood. And I think we're in a really weird spot right now because Black Panther has done so, 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 so well. But the trend lines over time show that year after year, fewer people actually go to the movies, right? Attendance is either flat or down. Last year was an awful year. Um, It depends on where you look. Some studios like Disney did very well for themselves. But in general, um, last year attendance uh, in U.S. movie going was the lowest since 1992. Which is the year A Few Good Men and Sister Act came out. (laughs) Wow. I know. I would have stopped after Sister Act also. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's done. Yeah. Shut her down. Not getting any better. We're good. Not getting any better. Yeah. Yeah. Do we know why? Is it because I can watch everything on Netflix and Hulu? Is it because people are are living their lives differently than our parents did? Like, do we know the reasons for this? Yeah, all of the above. Yeah, I think it's Netflix. I think it's, you know, the theatrical experience hasn't changed too much in the past um, couple decades. I mean, they're trying to ramp it up with these, like, recliners and, like, food and drink options. the 4D movies. The 4D movies are trying what they can. Your shakes, you know. I went to one of those. It, like, mists water on you. Yeah, it's like a a theme park ride. I can't do it. Yeah, I I don't want to feel like I'm on the Jurassic Park ride. Right? While I'm watching Jurassic Park. I I don't need that. (laughs) Agreed. I don't need that. What is the film industry going to do to react to this? What are they going to do to change it besides upping ticket prices? Well, there are a lot. There's a lot of consolidation on the studio side. Disney uh-huh. trying to buy Fox here. Um, you know, we're expecting more studios to join forces probably before the end of the year, and that's because they're focusing on these. Big, huge movies that cost $200 million like to Black make. Like Black Panther. Like Black Panther, like Jurassic World, like the Star Wars movies. Because they're a safe bet. They're a safe bet. They play around the world. Um, and so that's kind of sucking up all of the oxygen huh. at these studios. It's a, not the reason a lot of these people got into the business. You yeah. know, they didn't get into the business. They wanted to make art. They wanted to make. No know, one as a kid was like, I'll make Jurassic World. Exactly. That'll they, be. They're, they're growing up like with like Kramer versus Kramer or yeah. something like that. Um, there and- is at least one kid though, who's <laughs> just like, I'm going to redo yes. the entire Star Wars franchise. And now I'm that kid is rich. reboot it. I, yeah. think that kid, <laughs> I, I, think, I think that kid is J.J. Abrams. Right, that yes. Kid, yes. Yeah. Good for you, J.J. Uh, before we leave our film chat, we got to just talk uh, the awards themselves, the Oscars this weekend. Do we have any idea about who is going to win big? Shape it- of Water. 
The no. amphibian man love story. No, you don't. No, not so much. I mean, I loved Get Out, but I love Get Out. I, and I would love to see them pull off. An and they upset. had this big push last minute to try to win. They're honestly. everywhere. Audrey, I have to disagree. I think Get Out's going to win. Really? You do. I do. Oh, I do. Well, please tell me why. I think Get Out's going to win. I think that you're seeing this. You're right. There's definitely something in the in the atmosphere these past couple days where you're seeing a major push for it. I think when a lot of people sit down to vote and they think to themselves, like, what movie did I enjoy watching the most this year? When, when did I have the most fun? Also, what would I just love to see named Best Picture? Also, what movie will make me look the most woke? No. Yes. <laughs> Let, well, I don't. I don't know. That doesn't seem to have been too much of a priority of the academy for the past. <laughs> but now, but the new members. But, yes, exactly. They have so, what? But, some hundreds of new members. Yeah. Right? So two years ago, they made this huge push to increase the diversity, to make it more inclusive, putting out invitations to everyone in town. And so you kind of see a little bit of a dichotomy, if you, even if you look at the nominations, kind of who are of the older generation in the academy and who is kind of the new young yeah. blood what is one thing you guys have seen from working red carpets that viewers on tv would never know like the weirdest strangest behind the scenes thing from the red carpet that if there can, is one that we can say that you can say yeah. <laughs> one thing i'll point out for people watching the oscars on sunday is that the oscars take place in this complex called hollywood and highland which is in like the Times Square it's of depressing. Los Angeles. And so just one thing to remember is that even though it's super glamorous and it looks like they're going into this wonderful auditorium, they're actually in a mall um, <laughs> that most people in LA avoid at all costs. <laughs> and so when you're watching Meryl Streep and Alice and Janney look fabulous in their gowns, just remember that they're standing in front of a Forever 21 <laughs> that the cameras, the cameras cannot see. Yeah, yeah. it yes. kind of kind of brings everyone down to earth a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, at uh, the yeah. preview, you know, they take you out to the staging area and it's literally Hollywood Boulevard and they've <sighs> put tents up and uh-huh. heaters. So yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's Hollywood after yes. all. I think yes. one thing people don't realize from the red carpet is and maybe they do nowadays with a lot of live shows but it is very chaotic mm-hmm. and it can get political in the sense that you if you're a reporter you're managing who you're going to interview yes because there are a lot of publicity teams around uh-huh. and you're actively negotiating with them and prioritizing well i need this person first uh-huh. and please come back to me and it's a lot of just it's bartering it's it is bartering, <laughs> bartering stars. yeah it is kind of well, like get out <laughs> sure yes a little. i'll give you one Lori metcalf for two uh-huh. sam rockwells yeah. that's a little yeah. bit like that though am yeah. i right like right? Yeah. you are kind of negotiating and and it's it's a lot of just management yeah. that people aren't seeing, yeah. I think. Last quick question. Are we going to see any kind of Me Too action at the show on the red carpet? And if so, what does it look like? Are they all going to wear black dresses or what? I don't think we're going to see any um, demonstration like we did with the Golden Globes in terms of like a particular color gown or something like that. But inevitably, I'm sure it will be a big theme in the speeches, mm-hmm. in the opening monologue. I mean, the Oscars... Every year, I mean, whether it's Oscars so white, um, have to engage with the larger yes. sort of representation question. Yeah. Um, so I think we'll see it in this in the same kind of way, like where there will be, I'm sure, in speeches and you know jokes, frankly, yeah. you know, an acknowledgement yeah. of it. Who's hosting? Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel Glenn. One thing I will uh, say, though, regarding that, uh, I think something that uh, people who cover the red carpet have been talking amongst ourselves is whether people will be talking to Ryan Seacrest. 
Oh, he was caught up in some allegations. Yeah, so Variety broke this story about some allegations that were made against him. He has denied them through his lawyer. He's come out with a statement, allegations that there was inappropriate behavior from with a former stylist. So it'll be interesting if people go out of their way because of these allegations. Yeah. But gotta say... Um, Ryan Seacrest's employer, NBC, they looked at all these allegations and they found, quote, insufficient evidence to support the claims against Ryan Seacrest. All right, guys, time for another break. When we come back, we're going to play my favorite game. Who said that? Support for this podcast and the following message come from Discover. The traditional first anniversary gift is paper. Most couples aren't gifting each other stationery, but Discover is following this anniversary tradition for its new card members. At the end of your first year, Discover will match all the cash back you earn dollar for dollar. No caps and no cash. That's a paper anniversary gift in the form of a cash back bonus. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Cashback match offer only for new card members. Limitations apply. Hey, y'all. Thank you for listening to It's Been a Minute. Please help us out by telling us what you like and how we can improve this show. Take a short survey. It's anonymous. It's quick. I promise. Go to npr.org slash podcast survey. Just takes a few minutes, and you will do all of us at this show a big, big favor. All right. Help us out here at It's Been a Minute. Go to npr.org slash podcast survey. Thank you. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two great guests, Audrey Cleo Yap, who covers entertainment and sports here in L.A., and Eric Schwartzel, who covers the film industry for The Wall Street Journal. You guys, it's time for my favorite game. It's called Who Said That? You know how this goes. I share a quote with you all. You have to guess who said that. You can even, like, get close, get in the general area of the story. Okay. That's fine. Um, and, of course, as always, the winner gets absolutely nothing. So, whatever. <laughs> all right, first quote. You ready? Here it is. It encourages you to spend quality time doing the things you love the most, free of distraction. We call this going light. I'm out. I have no idea. It's a device that you use. It's about making something that's smart dumb. Is it a flip phone? Is It's is close. About, Just okay. give it to her. Yeah. Right. There's a new Indiegogo campaign from a company called Light for a phone they're calling Light 2. It's a dumb phone, and it's dumb on purpose. They've taken away all the apps. They've taken away all the stuff. And all you have with this phone is the ability to make calls, send texts, order a ride home, and set an alarm clock, basically. And they're doing it because people are feeling overwhelmed by their smartphones and all the apps, and this is a way to strip down and get back to basics. Would you guys ever do that? A dumb phone? If I were the parent of a teenager, I feel like this would be the perfect yes. punishment. Yes. So, yes. All right. I would do yeah, it that. sounds yeah. like the cell phone we got my grandma. Right? Yeah. All right, so, Audrey, you're up one zip. Look at you. Good work. Next quote. We're working as hard as we can to get this sorted out. We know that our gravy is a big favorite. Who said that? Who has good gravy? No, someone KFC. ran out of gravy. <gasps> you actually got it. KFC. Oh, wow. Yes. That was the first thing that came to my head. I was like, who has good? 
KFC is right. gravy. Yes. So last week on the show, we talked about how KFCs in the UK had a chicken shortage. Yes. Because of some new issues with their new delivery system. So now they got the chicken back and they reopened the restaurants, <laughs> but now they're out of gravy. KFC in the UK can't get it together. And then once they together. get the gravy, yeah, then they'll, they'll be out of corn. They're going to forget the buckets. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have other like? Do they have like localized fare? I wonder. I've never been to a KFC in the U- UK. I have. Like, not. Do they have mushy peas? Someone, a UK listener, please tell us. Tell us. Please, let, yeah, let us please know. Please inform us. What's on the menu in well, your they, KFC right now? Not gravy. So, Audrey, you're up two zero. <laughs> Last quote. I was just like, "That's crazy. Why did you agree to take me to New Jersey from West Virginia? Who said that?" Kylie Jenner. Chris. <laughs> Chris, Chris Christie. <laughs> Uh, guess the service this is tied to. Someone. Like Uber? Did yes. Uber? Yes. Okay. okay, Eric, you got it. All right, this was a quote from Kenneth Bachman. He, on accident, took an Uber from Morgantown, West Virginia, to Gloucester County, New Jersey. <laughs> the bill was $1,635.93. How did he accidentally well, do that? Alcohol was involved. Oh, okay. uh, Did he yeah. pass out? He was hanging out with some friends in West Virginia, and he was drinking all day and went to a frat party near West Virginia University. He wanted to call it a night. He calls an Uber, gets in the car, falls asleep, forgot that he typed in home. His home is New Jersey, and he woke up, like, almost to Jersey. Wow. Oh, wow. There before the grace of God go I. Think about that. They probably had to stop for gas. I mean, like, it was like... <laughs> This guy slept through all of yeah. that. All right, Audrey, you won. Congratulations. You Thank have bragging you. rights for at least a week. Uh, that concludes Who Said That. Now it's time to end the show as we do every week. We ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. I always encourage folks to brag. They always do. Anjali, hit the tape. Say, hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. <laughs> What's your name? Aliyah. How old are you? Two. Oh. What is the best thing that happened this week? Baby. Uh, did a baby come to your house? <laughs> Cough. You have a cough, so you can only touch his what? Feet. Yeah. <laughs> is that your new brother? Yeah. Do you love him? Yeah. Good. Oh, congratulations. Oh, Say bye, uh, Sam. Bye, Sam. Bye. Bye. Hi, Sam. This is Tina calling from Michigan. Hey, Tina. And the best thing that happened to me all week is that I got to spend all night last night camped out in my brand new sugar shack boiling maple sap down into maple syrup. Wow. The best thing that happened to me this week is that I published my first novel. Congrats. I was accepted into the Peace Corps. Congrats. I am celebrating 10 years of sobriety. Nice. I have graduated barbering school. Okay. I am finally a licensed occupational therapist. At 30 years young, I am officially a master sergeant in the United States Air Force. Wow. Hey Sam, this is Lauren in Washington, D.C. This week I finally went to the mikvah, the Jewish ritual bath, and officially converted. So if anybody asks, I am no longer just (laughs) Jew-ish, I'm just Jewish. Congratulations. Hey Sam. This is Chris from Vancouver, British Columbia. Hey, Chris. And the best part of my week has been the wait to find out how my brilliant wife does at her audition for Jeopardy. Ooh. I know she's killing it in there, and soon enough, we'll all get to see Ella from Vancouver wow everyone with her knowledge of Prince and the Bee Gees. <laughs> Hi, Sam. This is Stephanie from Little Rock. Hey, Stephanie. Over 30 years ago, I was adopted at birth, hmm. and the best thing that's happened to me this week is my biological older brother, Daniel, 
found me and I get to meet him in two weeks. Wow. wow. Hi, Sam. This is Suzanne calling you from the waterfront of the submarine base in Groton, Connecticut. Wow. I'm here with my four kids. Say hi, guys. Hi. Hey. For a very special day. After listening to the best thing that happened to other people every week for the last six months, in about 45 minutes, I get my husband back from his deployment. Oh, that's great. So my happy tears are finally for me and the kids. Say bye to Sam, you guys. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you for your show. Have a great week. Okay. Bye, Sam. Bye. I didn't cry. I'm very you proud of myself. No. no. Look yeah. at you. A, like, I'm a professional. It's a fascinating group of people. Right? Like sugar shacks and uh, Jeopardy contestants. Yeah. Um, special thanks to all the voices you heard just now. Judith and Iliav, Tina, Wilson, Carla, Bridget, Roberto, Amanda, David, Lauren, Chris, Stephanie, and Suzanne. We listen to all of these that come in. We can't play them all, but we listen to them all. So keep sending them. Uh, samsanders at npr.org. Just record the sound of your voice. Send it to samsanders at npr.org. Also, feel free to send pictures of dogs and babies. We always love those, too. All right. To our guests, thank you, guys. Y'all were one of the best parts of my week. Audrey Likewise, Yap, thank you. Who covers sports and TV all over okay, Los Angeles. Sam. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Schwarzel, who covers the film industry for the Wall Street Journal. You guys are great. Um, another best part of the week, Jenna Monet. That's just the way you make me feel. Prince lives. Always. Always, right? Always. Always. All right, this week the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. We had help with edits this week from Jeff Rogers and Allison McAdam. And our big boss is Anja Grunman, the VP of programming here at NPR. You guys, refresh your feed Tuesday morning because we have a really phenomenal actor who is on his way up talking about Brian Tyree Henry. He plays Paperboy love on Atlanta. Him. We had the best chat. Turns out the both of us love HGTV, among oh. other things. Are you a Property Brothers guy? Like, oh, I, I would totally upper? do a Property Brothers show with him. There he and I yeah. are the brothers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Property yes. Brothers. Yes. yes. <laughs> Uh, but no, he was great. He talked about Atlanta and more. Um, refresh your feed Tuesday morning for that. Until then, I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Hold up. 